Hey everybody, it's Dominique. And I'm Isha. Welcome back to the Founders Roundtable. Being in the restaurant industry has not been easy over the past few years. And it has taken pivoting and catering to customers using innovative strategies for some to save their businesses. Many restaurateurs took their businesses online and attempted to double down on creating more efficient ordering systems. However, many are still stuck without easy to use technology to help them thrive. Nabil Alamgar is an entrepreneur attempting to empower restaurants with his company Lunchbox which enables restaurant owners to grow their own online revenue and have the chance to thrive. Nabil is someone who knows how to work tirelessly and strategically to make an impact. He was born in Bangladesh and moved to Kuwait seven years later, eventually ending up in Queens, New York. He started out as the first busboy at Bear Burger's flagship store in Astoria and immediately began gaining exposure to how restaurant customer interaction works and started creating marketing objectives while working for the CEO. This time at Bear Burger exposed specific pain points in the industry for Nabil, especially when he attempted to build his own digital ordering system. Lunchbox is here to make it easier for restaurants to scale, and today he's going to share the story of how he and his team are working towards their mission. Nabil, thank you so much for joining us today. We're so happy to have you on. I heard from your assistant that you are at Food on Demand, uh, the conference this week. So how is that going? It's good. It's going great, except, you know, there's a, I have to look at Trump Tower right across from me. Besides that, it, it's, going, it's going really well. Uh, it's, it's, an, it's an awesome event. We have restaurateurs from everywhere, a lot of our customers, a lot of our friends, uh, and I get to meet my teammates at these conferences, which is really why I'm, I am here uh, more than anything else. So it's, it's going really well. You've gone on a really interesting journey with Launchbox, obviously, um, to get to where you are today. Um, and obviously even way before you started that. So we're super excited to just have you share your story and also your company's mission with all the listeners um, in the TFR community. Uh, yeah, uh, I, I think my journey and Lunchbox journey is one, uh, and, and that's just a simpler and a linear story to tell. Uh, I started uh, this company three years ago, but I started in the food business 15 years ago. Uh, 15 years ago, I came to this country. I'm an immigrant. I'm coming from Kuwait, uh, you know, and I, I look like what I look like, and, but, and, I'm, and I come to St. Louis, Missouri, and St. Louis, Missouri is not, St. Louis, Missouri sucks, right? So St. Louis, Missouri, like no one, no one's, unless you live there, you don't really say St. Louis, Missouri is great. Let's go there for the weekend. So that's where I went as an immigrant. And are you, is, are you guys from St. Louis, Missouri? Anyone here? No? Okay. All right. So I can shit on it. St. Louis, Missouri sucks. And so I go there for the first three months and I'm like, wow, I hate it here. Like, please put me at end, end this misery. And then three months later, I somehow, my parents somehow say, we're going to go to Queens, New York. And I'm like, hallelujah. It was the best place for an immigrant to be. And uh, I went to this public school right by the projects. I grew up in the projects. I went to a school by the projects. And the school had 3,000 people. And all of them 
you know, were uh, outsiders. And together, all of us were outsiders and no one was an insider and it was a great community to go ahead and grow up. I learned enough English watching mafia movies, Scorsese movies, violent movies for some reason, I use my hands a lot. I think I'm American, Italian, I'm not. At 17, I learned enough English to get a job as a busboy um, at a, my teacher's brother's restaurant. That restaurant's name is Bear Burger. Uh, we had only one location back then. But uh, over the next 10 years, I grew up and uh, became a young man into that system. Went from busboy to CMO, chief marketing officer. Uh, but it took a decade. But it, uh, we opened 50 restaurants in five countries and we had a absolute blast. Uh, restaurant business is hard, like all businesses. And you know, it raised me. It, it, it made me who I am. It made me a fighter, made me want to punch up, made me want to help the people that feed the world. That's our mission. And three years ago, decided to do exactly that, which is, uh, I think we can do something about it. I think we can go ahead and be the Shopify of the restaurant industry or be the online ordering that helps restaurants make so much more money than when the order came in from Grubhub or a third party company. When you order on Grubhub or DoorDash or others, you know, I know they're convenient, but on a $100 order, the restaurant makes five, 10 bucks. That's not enough. That's nothing. Imagine I gave you a hundred bucks and you were taxed so much. You made five bucks at the end. You'd be like, what the fuck? I'm moving to Miami or Florida. I want to evade this tax. This is too much. And that is what's happening to restaurants everywhere. And we wanted to do something about it. And the second thing we wanted to do was build incredible apps and website and restaurants at McDonald's and Chipotle has and build that for everyone. The five off, you know, the one off. We wanted to do that for all restaurants because we think they have a story just as important to tell as Chipotle or more important, right? The local mom and pops deserve to make a lot of money as well and deserve to go ahead and, and talk, speak to their guests directly as well. So that's my story. That's a little bit about me, Bear Burger, growing up, and Lunchbox. Love it. Um, we saw that you learned English a little bit by watching some movies. And so, yeah, I was wondering if there were any movies in particular that you're just like, this is this is what helped me like develop my English and like land my first job at Bear Burger, which set up a lot of your journey for you. It was Scarface. I'm not going to give you a you know a nice movie with a nice message. It was Scarface. It is the most to me, it is the most entrepreneurial movie in the world. Uh, it was Scarface. All right. There was a three-step system on how you find the date in that movie. You know, first you get the money, then you get the power. All right. Either way, the point is Scarface was a story about a Cuban immigrant who came here and who was trying to make their way up. Uh, you know, I, I don't know this actor at the time, this you know, short looking you know, guy, Italian guy, and I'm resonating with him a lot. Uh, and it was, you know, Al Pacino and it was Scarface. And there was a sign and there was a balloon that he was, lo he was looking at and it said, the world is yours. And I think that's how big uh, uh, I want to aim because as an immigrant, it is, you know, I didn't have big dreams. Uh, I didn't have uh, a lot of courage. And to watch that movie, I, I think something clicked for me. You know, I gave myself permission to dream big. I gave myself permission to say it out loud. I gave myself permission to use my language, the language I'm learning, English, not to just be a language that I will uh, use to fit in, but want to go ahead and be an asset, a tool, a weapon, so I can go ahead and you know get things done. So. It was Scarface. Uh, and also, it's a fun movie. There's a lot of killing and shooting and drugs. Like, who doesn't like a good action movie? Uh, uh, so, it was Scarface. I don't have anything more profound than that. 
from where we left off in your timeline, um, you know, you talked about when you when you um, decided to start Lunchbox, but there were some, you know, blanks there that I wanted to fill in. So, for example, when you went from being a busboy to a CMO, like, that leap is crazy. Like, can you just talk to us a little bit about how that came to be? Um, because it's a huge jump, but it's amazing that you did that. It's it's It comes from trauma of not being raised well by immigrant parents because you know immigrant parents are amazing people hardworking, but they do you know they're not great at raising kids like they're like like they're so busy making money making sure there's food on the table you know they are so bad at so many other things and i don't think i'm not a blamer i'm not like oh you guys were terrible i'm like listen you brought me to queens new york from a shithole in bangladesh i'm i'm a happy man you you know you've given me more than I can ask for, but I think you know when you're raised by the parents I was raised and the way I was raised I was you know my dad was a cab driver mom was a Dunkin' worker, uh, and you know we grew up with very little I think I think working getting a job as a busboy was uh, first of all humbling like it's hard work so I I sympathize with them a lot right because they were doing similar jobs right busboy cab driver Dunkin' this is these are the same jobs I don't want it. I don't want it. I don't want it for too long. So I was never enough. I wanted to climb up the ranks and I want, I didn't, I wasn't like mission driven. Like now I really care about restaurants and care about people. I didn't care about anyone when I was 17. I just care about, you know, growing up the ranks and just like making more money and like retiring my family, you know? And that was just a dream. The dream was retire them and not be poor. That was the goal back then. And so I worked my tail off, worked every day, worked a hundred hours a week, uh, you know, I hustled. I think there's a, I think there's a lot of talk going on now about not hustling. That hustling is a bad word, or work-life balance, or all of this stuff. To me, I'm not there yet. I'm not evolved enough to get there yet. I am. Hey, I've not seen a recipe for incredible work without putting in a lot of hours, right? Uh, you get. You know, someone has figured out four-day work week and other things. Great. Please keep that to yourself. You know, I don't. I can't do that anymore. Uh, do that right now because maybe I'm not good enough, or maybe I'm not as evolved. But Back then, the goal was work and help and add value. You know, uh, the restaurant was uh, needed a busboy, wipe tables, right? The restaurant needed some menu designs. Maybe I'll design some menus, learn from watching videos or something, make some menu uh, menu edits and design it on Adobe and you know give it to them. The restaurant needed a social media manager, take some pictures, you know, upload it, do it for free, just do give, 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 give and then uh, start asking. And that took too long for me. I was weak on that part asking, but uh, I, get, I got better at it. But I did a good job giving and they did a good job. Uh, uh, it was a two way street. My, my bosses at Barry Burger did a good job on recognizing the effort. But sometimes when they didn't recognize enough, I struggled to speak up and say, hey, I'm, I'm doing, I'm clocking in a lot of different things here and uh, not for more money. So it was a good education of pull and push. To, and it was it, a journey of a decade where you know, uh, hey, I'm leaving if, you know, I don't get to be the CMO at 25. Uh, but by 25, I, I got good at asking and giving. You know, you get better at giving and asking. Um, so uh, it, it was a journey of what does this place need and what can I do? Because I wasn't a designer. I wasn't a marketer. I wasn't, I did not know anything. But I knew that if, you know, you put in time and effort and want to help, uh, it will have a return on investment. Um, and I know it now looking back, but back then I just wanted to help and you know, do more, just be part of more. 
I love you talking about being part of more and being an advocate for yourself. And I think one of the things that really resonated to me about your story is that um, just being from Detroit, I'm a first time founder, as well as uh, going to school, all that stuff, right? Just checking things off the list because when you grow up in a family that's constantly in a like an active fight to fighting for rights, fighting for making sure, you know, we have food on the table and things like that, your happiness isn't always considered. It's like, it's not even on right. the table, right? So it's not, it's not, yeah. it's a Maslow's pyramid. Right, it's not. right yeah. at all. It, it's not. So, yeah. so no, I, I just love that you mentioned that, especially being from Detroit, like we're very familiar with grit, like working hard and hustling and making it happen. So um, I think Lunchbox is just a really great example of that. Like when we look back on the past two years too, you guys have accomplished so much. I mean, at the height of the pandemic, I believe there was around 100,000 uh, restaurants who either temporarily closed and some permanently closed. Forever. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And then you, it's, so it's insane. And then they had to rely on delivery services and that cut into their profit margins going from there, going to the fees. And like you mentioned, they end up with like, what, five bucks. And it's like, was it even worth it? So I wanted to talk to you and get your thoughts on how Lunchbox is making restaurants more affordable, um, excuse me, more profitable yeah. and giving them the, their power back. Like, how did you guys fill that gap when there was a huge one created by the pandemic? That's such a um, great question. And also, thank you for sharing your background from uh, Detroit. We, uh, the, the natives of Queens and Detroit have a lot in common. So uh, we, 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 uh, so I, I'm happy to share that background uh, between us. And uh, in terms of uh, what is, you know, Lunchbox uh, doing, the two things we're trying to do is, number one is uh, we want to give you everything uh, these marketplaces like Grubhub has. Let's give you all the tech. Let's give you a great app. Let's give you a great web. Let's give you, uh, you know, uh, all the technology you need for a customer to say, I know Grubhub is more convenient, but this also has all the same tech. Apple page, easy checkout, easy check-in. All right, all right, give me all of that, right? That's a hard job on its own. And then we get to the second part, which is the hard part, which is help restaurants talk to their customers, right? Help restaurants tell their story visually with their design with their aesthetics with their ui then also help talk to their customers because maybe you know isha stopped coming in you know maybe she last time she came in was two weeks ago something's wrong something's off right maybe i want to you know uh dial up the 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 bribery i'm sending her away in a coupon to go ahead and say yeah isha you gotta come back all right maybe donnie dominic needs to come for lunch now it only comes for dinner right what do, do i want to do something about that do I want to convert it to be a little bit more of a lunch crew, right? So it's, again, giving uh, tools, technology, marketing, and engagement tools to go ahead and make it easier for rest, uh, customers to say, hey, not only do they have all the same tech, but they also are talking to me, and this is a restaurant I like, and they're explaining things to me, and they're giving me special menu items, and they are giving me more bonus points. Uh, it's enough of a reason for me to go and support my local restaurants. Right. Uh, and that's what Lunchbox is trying to do. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent, especially with mom and pop stores that, or restaurants, excuse me, that I feel like need help with that, you know, driving that human connection, you know, and continuing to make profits in the meantime. So we just talked about 
like making sure that you're giving restaurants the power to you know pull people back in and make sure that they're getting those those repeat customers and just making the entire process of interacting with their customers easier which is obviously so important because um over the last two years they've just been hit hard um but over the last two years something else that's happened is that experiences have been digitized and so you know there's the metaverse coming up um and one thing i found very interesting when i was reading about lunchbox is just that digital experience that you're giving customers um you know at their favorite restaurants um i would love for you to just like first of all explain that before we hop into it any further like how are you guys working towards an immersive virtual dining experience or like what is that aspect exactly you know um the first thing I want to say about the metaverse is I don't know uh, jack shit about it, right? That's the first thing I want to say. Uh, the second thing I want to say about uh, NFTs and metaverse and uh, VR is where the conversation is right now uh, to us is not good enough, right? It's still in like, you know, like photos and graphics uh, and like, you know, uh, you know, just like it's still in the arts, right? And I don't think that is uh, utility enough when it comes to, you know, what is it we're really trying to do, right? So we wanted to change that at Lunchbox. We wanted to go ahead and, you know, push the conversation forward. We wanted to, like all things we do, be irreverent in what we say and feel about, uh, you know, uh, how uh, technology should shape the way we dine, right? So that's how we got into the conversation. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to show you a quick video. Can I share my screen really quickly? Can I show you a quick video of what we built? I'm going to show you a quick video of what we built. Uh, I can share my screen if, if that's okay with you. So yeah, so what we did was we built a, a full-blown restaurant, uh, a restaurant we all have been to maybe, you know, uh, that you can walk into, walk around, uh, almost like a diner. Uh, where you can, you know, look around, you can look at the kitchen, you can look at how the food is made, and you can go up to these kiosks and order food and hang out in the space. And all of us can come and hang out in the space if we bought something from this restaurant, right? Uh, so this is what we have built. Uh, and we've built this and what our imagination takes us, where it takes us is, all right, let's say we, you know, work with McDonald's and we sell this to McDonald's. There's a McDonald's everywhere. Right? There's a McDonald's everywhere. There's one near you, Dominic. There's one near you, Isha. There's one near me. All three of us order food. That means we all get access to this venue and we all are wearing our VR set and we're all in that venue and we're speaking and hanging out in that venue at that table and having this conversation, but a little bit more intimate. Right? So that's what we wanted to do. We wanted to push the conversation forward. And, uh, and sometimes we do a lot of things that's not profitable, but it is also coming from our heart and our soul. And it's a lot of fun for us, which is let's continue to push the conversation forward. So that's how we got into that conversation. Um, and we, you know, we are looking at it as a, again, a, a voice that, you know, will challenge others to come into that space and reimagine it. That's awesome. And I like the point that you made about just uh, connecting more with people when you're building out something like that. It just gives us an opportunity to like actually sit down, even if it's like in a virtual world. Um, because this new evolution is coming and it just gives us that extra element of um, human connection when everything is obviously going online. Um, and that way restaurants can still be supported as well. What has the response to that been uh, when you've like shown that to restaurants and when you've tested it out with people? We, we just sold it to uh, uh, Bear Burger, 
We just sold it. We built it for Bear Burger and sold it to Bear Burger. And now we're working on pushing that in terms of actually making it a reality. So the response has been, uh, oh, that's pretty cool. Like, all right, someone is been pushing the envelope. But what I'm really excited by is the phase two of it, which is, you know, maybe all of us can order and actually do something, have a, have a, you know, I want Bear Burger to tell their story in the space and tell a little bit more. And how we do that is hard work, but that is the job to be done. Yeah, I love too that you really started your foundation in business with Bear Burger and like hard work because they're really innovative. Like when you first started, like looking back 10 years ago, wasn't the the menu like 50% vegan? And that wasn't something that was really heard of, especially at a burger place, right? Yeah, we went 50% vegan four years ago. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Uh, when we first started, we were doing incredible stuff from day one and we were selling stuff like ostrich and elk and bison. Uh, and then, uh, by the way, ostrich tastes exactly like beef, Isha, if you've not had it, or Dominique. It looks, tastes exactly like beef. And you, you'd imagine it's like a chicken because it's a bird. It's not a bird, it's a, it, it's a beast. Uh, so ostriches are mean. Uh, just FYI, if you guys watch some videos, ostriches are mean. Kangaroos and ostrich. Australian animals are just mean people. All right, that's who they are. They're just not nice people. The people are nice, but the animals are not nice. Uh, so, uh, and then four years ago, we decided to go 50% vegan, uh, being the, one of the first chains to have Impossible, first chain to have Beyond uh, when no one else was carrying it, because you know, you know, that's what you know we believed. We believed of you know pushing the conversation forward, making us and making us better for it. And I think that's what it does. Uh, my fiance is vegan. Uh, I hate uh, vegans. Uh, she makes me eat vegan food all the time. Uh, so I feel like I'm in the community now and I've fed a lot of vegans at Bear Burgers. So I can say it, but God, do I hate them. Like they're the worst, just always like ruining my meals. You should can tell you a little bit about, <laughs> I'm vegan also. Uh, but... Yeah. Yeah. I have a, pro- I have a problem with you. I'll take it with you after the zoom. You know how much tempeh I'm eating? You know how much tempeh I've been eating? Too much, too much Asia. Hey, I'm starting a company that's trying to prevent heart disease, so I'm happy if you're eating a lot of tempeh. That's great. I rather I rather, I, I rather drop dead and die than, <laughs> oh uh, than eat any more tempeh. I'm eating tempeh like three, four times a week, Isha. Have, have some mercy. But it's really awesome that, I mean, you guys are pushing the needle in terms of that and then also their tech now, you know, with all the stuff you're doing at Launchbox. So it is really awesome. I wanted to talk to you about the waves of just technology that we've seen in the restaurant tech industry. Like the first wave was publishing menus online and then we're able to book a restaurant reservation. Um, we shift from there into now customers can leave Yelp reviews and download a whole app to just look at customer reviews. Now we're into DoorDash and Uber Eats. And I was just wondering, like, since that's, I think more automating the human experience. I wondered like how, how can Lunchbox scale? Like, how is it, is that even a thing here? I love that question, yeah. I mean, listen, listen, the great companies, for the great companies is a thing, for the not so great companies is technology, right? What is technology, but you know, uh, something that is supposed to be a tool. Like we're not important, like we, Lunchbox is not as important, we're just the tools and, for the restaurants to use, but then, then we need to, uh, as restaurateurs, cause I'm now putting my restaurant hat on, you know, start being incredible storytellers, start building incredible brands, 
like sweet green is not a gazillion dollar uh, salad concept because they just sell salad. It's more than that. They have something to say. You know, they have you know incredible people like Na- you know Na- Naomi uh, on their roster of people that are supposed to go ahead and you know, teach the youth that salad is can be fun, right? Uh, and that uh, that w- there's more to food. Uh, and that the people you look up to are eating the food that you know you might are, are not might not be used to, and you might think it's not accessible, but it is. So I think Sweet Green is telling those stories because that is their you know they have taken that role, you know uh, they're a lifestyle brand, and uh, I don't and that's rare, and I, I don't think that has to be rare. And I think with technology, people are compromising and stop uh, stopping to tell their stories, and I think they have to continue even more so than ever which is, you know, what makes you who you are if you are a restaurant group? You know, what matters to you? Um, you know, uh, you know, Chipotle's whole thing is free guac, right? Or guac, right? So like uh, uh, more for guac. And now in their app, they sometimes give out free guacs to people, right? So they've taken their in-store experience and this, 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 uh, you know, uh, this cultural thing, the, the extra guac thing, and they've said, we're going to elevate it into our app too, right? Like, I don't think that is the greatest example but it is still better than what most people are doing which is something and i think that's what all restaurant needs restaurateurs need to do is try to still continue to tell their stories using the tools accessible uh, available to them and we're hoping lunchbox is the tool they use that is can do a whole lot of things for them and continue to tell them but uh you know i put my restaurant hat on and i think we uh, need to stop you know, being lazy and try to do a little bit more and continuing to, you know, push the boundaries outside of the four walls, outside of the brick and mortar. We spend a lot of money being amazing within the four walls. And then we like sometimes like, you know, cut corners digitally because oh, it's, uh, it's a courier or it's, you know, it's a delivery or it's a pickup, you know? And I think, I think, uh, I think, uh, I think we're better than that. Yeah. No, that, I think that was a great way to, to explain it. It's, it's more about, using the stories of the restaurant owners to connect with our human experience. And I totally relate to the guac thing because I was at Chipotle yesterday. Chipotle. Yeah. So I go into Chipotle. I'm I'm so excited. You know, that's my thing. And yes, I'm like, all right, you know, I'm towards the end. I'm I'm getting ready to cash out. And I was like, oh yeah, can you, can you have my guac? And she's like, we're out of guac. And I would have just I would have, if I've known, if I would have known that when I got there, I just wouldn't have got a, a bowl that day. So that is so funny. Yeah. So that's okay. That's the thing. So I have a, when you said out of guac, Isha and my face went into shock. I think that's a good uh, thumbnail for uh, the podcast. I don't know how you guys do your podcast graphics, but we were shocked. It's a cultural thing. It's it's part of our culture. It's part of the, the meme culture, right? The, the guac jokes. So I think I think it would be just odd for you to not tell that story with your digital stack. And I think Chipotle is doing that. I think we should all learn from that because we all have incredible things we do as restaurateurs. And if we don't do them in our restaurants, it's time to you know do that too. I'm allergic to uh, avocados. So. Oh no, I'm so sorry. I don't, I don't, let, me, let, me, let me tell you, let me tell you, I don't even like it. I don't even like it. Yeah, I don't, I don't like it. I see, I see my fiance eating avocado toast and I'm like basic. You know, I look at her, I judge her, I judge her, and I look at her. She's, you know, she's white, so you know, I, I do a little judging. I'm like, it's not very flavorful. There's no flavors on that toast. No seasoning, right? I eat Bengali and Indian food. You can't touch my meals. Like your avocado toast, take that. T- you know, please keep that away from me. Keep your avocado away from me. So that's my attitude towards uh, 
uh, her eating habit and her uh, salads. I was like, this just keeps getting more and more sad. Like, Dom didn't get her guac at the end of the day, and you're allergic to avocados. I mean, it's like really a disaster <laughs> up in here. But one day I saw you tweet, I think it was recently, about all of the different levels of communication that you have to master as a leader. Um, so like internal, external, all of that. And recently you successfully raised your Series B round. So, I mean, I know people talk about funding all the time and it really is like just the beginning, right? Like you have to make that funding go somewhere and you have to do something with it. And it's like the beginning of like the whatever the next phase of your company is hiring and whatnot. But um, I want to talk about how a huge part of good conversation is storytelling and so I was wondering how, um, I'm wondering if you have any wisdom to give our listeners on how to sell your story to investors when you're preparing to raise a round and especially a sizable round, um, like the one that you just closed. Yeah. Uh, we just raised 50 million for our series B. Um, and we have incredible investors, supportive investors who allow me to be myself. I get to be myself with them and I, I work hard. I really worked hard to figure out who I am, like my entire life. And I'm really trying, and I, and I actually like who I am, right? Like, like, first you have to figure out who you are. And second, you're like, oh, do you like it? Don't like it? I actually like it. You know, I don't hate it. I don't hate myself. And then the third thing is, uh, are you brave enough to be that? You, know, you adjust a little bit. You're at a funeral, you adjust it. You know, you can't be the same everywhere. You adjust it for a funeral, you adjust it a little bit for investor, but you adjust it, you tweak it a little bit, you know, you tweak 20%. If you're tweaking 80%, something's off. That's, you know, uh, but you tweak a little bit of who you are. Uh, and I think that third part is, you know, that being true to yourself is so hard. I'm so afraid sometimes to be myself with investors because I'm like, oh, they're not going to give me money if they find out what I really think. Uh, so I have this, you know, incredible battle between be who I am be who they want me to be and be what I need to be. And it's just like constantly just playing hopscotch and I'm exhausted. So I've decided and worked hard to just be, just be myself, you know, like just be myself. So I have more energy. I can work longer. I can be, you know, less phony. I can just go on more and more and more, you know, uh, uh, part of being leaders and who we are is stamina. We don't talk about stamina enough, but this is a, this is a marathon and a sprint. And we need stamina. We need to keep going, right? We we need stamina. If I don't see if I don't see people with great stamina, I know they're not ready for leadership because leadership is all about stamina. How long can you keep going, right? So, uh, being yourself helps you with that. Uh, so with these investors, uh, we've worked incredibly hard. Number one, to be who we are, present ourselves, so we can find partners who choose us as well. It's like a great relationship. It's like me with my fiance. You know, you don't wanna. I don't know why people pretend to be someone else. You know, uh, you need to be yourself if you're looking for a long-term partner because you need the other side to opt in and say, this is, uh, this is, I, I want to buy this. You know, I, I'm opting into this. So same thing with investors, same thing with employees, same thing with employers. Just be yourself and hopefully uh, don't be a terrible person and uh, you'll find like-minded people to come join uh, the tent. And that's what we have done. And then second, we have, you know, um, we've grown a lot. We've, we're also successful. Like, you know, they, investors also want to make money, right? We want them to make money. We want us to make money. We want our employees, everyone to be happy. So uh, we work in, you know, we're, we're driving really hard to grow. 
uh, really hard to go ahead and do M&As, uh, do uh, um, you know, incredible go-to-market, reinvent our strategy, reiterate, you know, throw things at a wall and test, and you know, run a great company and grow, grow, grow. Because the more we grow, the more we raise, the more we raise, the more restaurants we help, the more restaurants we help, the more we grow, and it is a flywheel. Uh, so you know, it's a two-part thing to go talk to investors, which is you know, have incredible numbers, have incredible vision, have in- incredible growth. Uh, and sometimes you don't need all three of them, right? You need some of them. Sometimes you need incredible vision, especially in the early stage. But either way, be a great company and be yourself and like-minded investors will come to you. And it's like sell- sales. It's exactly like sales. So you talk to a lot of investors and a lot of rejections come to you. And you, uh, uh, like your product, you will be better because of those rejections. Like your product, you will make iterations based on those feedback. What you cannot do is listen to all feedback, right? You can't listen to all feedback, you know? Investors sometimes just have to say no. Sometimes they just don't buy with you. Sometimes they don't get it. Sometimes they are, they just, they just, but either way, they have to say no. And you can't just say no, you have to say intelligent no's. So they will say, uh, it's because one, two, three, right? But you have to pattern match. You have to look at what you're hearing a lot and you have to go ahead and take that data and make improvements there. But you can't listen to all feedback uh, in, any, in anything you do. So that's a little bit of how fundraising has been always. And um, I love fundraising. It's fun. It makes us a better company. It makes us uh, more diligent. It makes us more uh, buttoned up. And you know, it's a lot of fun. Uh, but it's a lot of rejections. So it's, it's, it's sucky because you start stop believing in yourself. You start putting voices in your head and you start saying like, oh man, it's really hard. Like, you know? Um, so it's, it's, a, it's a roller coaster. I think you're actually the first person, and I appreciate that you did this, the first person that, like, when we've asked them about fundraising on the uh, on the podcast or even about communication, you went a step back before you went into that and talked about, first, you need to be coming from an authentic place uh, so that you can then build authentic relationships with your investors. I don't think that has ever been talked about in our episodes, Dom. Correct me if I'm wrong. No, you're right. I I was over here just writing down a few things and I was like, man, that journey to self-acceptance is rough because it's really you being fearless enough to say, you know what, I do recognize these things in myself. They They may not be great, right? It's, It's not the stuff people are talking about in magazine articles. But damn it, I'm brave enough to look myself in the mirror and say, you know what, this is me and I accept myself. And I think that's a really, really hard thing to do. But once you've overcame that and you've you've gotten over that hump, I feel like you get an inner confidence of like saying when you go in there, you hear that negative feedback, you can walk out and still say, you know what, I'm okay with that because, yeah, it's just not aligned at this time. But when it is in alignment, it's going to be right and they'll get it. And those, that will be my, my tribe and my people. So that was, I, I, I did, I really appreciated you just talking about that because um, I know it resonated with me feeling like I had a lot of pressure in my family to be successful in what they thought. And I just, I just wasn't happy and I never experienced an unhappiness like that. So, yeah. so yeah. Absolutely. And and it's easy for me to talk about it because I'm going through it now, which is I do a very good job and trying to be myself, but even I struggle for the last year internally in my company, I became someone I was not. 
for my employees, for my leaders, for others, I, I became, you know, the, the pressure of the, there's a pressure of the job, right? It's, a, you know, we have 200 people now. It's a, it's a lot of pressure. Uh, it's, it's a heavy responsibility, you know? Uh, and it, and, and you, I became, you know, remember I told, talked about that 80, 20 tweaking more, I was tweaking more than 20%, you know, because seasoned people are in the room, seasoned executives, they get paid a lot of money, you know, a uh, lot of people, a lot of employees in the company, a lot of people saying, do this, do this, do this, you know, and like all feedback, uh, I was over indexing and not listening to, remember the investor feedback, not listening to pattern, listening to uh, silent, but loud uh, uh, minority, uh, you know, silent, but uh, sorry, not silent, a loud, uh, loud uh, few. I was listening to loud few people. Um, and, and just 10 days ago, I said, I'm fucking tired of this shit. I'm done. I'm, you know, like, you know, uh, this company is, you know, valued over $300 million right now. It was valued as zero. And uh, I had something to do with it. So I need to believe and listen to myself and, uh, you know, my heart. I need to also invite people in and look at parent matching because everyone is going to give the CEO feedback all day long, 24-7, all day from the moment I wake up to the moment I go to bed. All I'm hearing from people are uh, feedback. But I, I have to listen to the ones that are going to help us uh, impact. And I know what is best for the business. Uh, and I need to believe in myself. So, you know, the, the voice, Dominic, you mentioned, which is, you know, uh, the pressure of being successful, what it does is it makes you feel like you're never good enough, you know, but you are, right? The last three years, we did incredible work. And so you and me and we need to document our wins, small and big. And look at that portfolio or that folder and, you know, wake the fuck up and say, we got this and just reiterate and keep going. And, and you know, another thing that um, you touched on, just the, the loneliness, right, of being a, a founder and, and, and being with that, that pressure. So how do you take care of yourself? Like, is it walks? Is it that you meditate? Like, what are some things that have really helped you along the way? I am a machine. A machine, I tell you. Um, I have this app called Habit. I have this app called Habit. The Habit app. And uh, I do habits every day. I have habits every day I do. I'll tell you what I do. I do sauna three times a week. I heard it decreases the chances of heart attacks. Uh, I clean up, clean my texts, train my dogs, eat healthy. I'm looking at you, Isha. I eat healthy reluctantly. Take vitamins, work out, meditation or yoga. Do Relish. Relish is a relationship app between you and your partner. And you guys like, you know, ask you questions, you know, like how many kids will you have? Or how do you think about money and things like that? So it prepares you for marriage because, you know, America's so good at marriage. Ha ha. Uh, do something special with your boo. Call family, visualize, journal, learn via podcast or book. That is my list of daily habits. I use those things every day to stay grounded. So that, this is my, this is my main home screen. This is all my wellness app. And the one I use the most is a future. It's a virtual coach. Uh, I use that and I measure my sleep and my sleep tells me if I'm snoring or not, or how healthy or health, not healthy it is. Uh, if you guys want me to play one of my snoring, I can do that. And then uh, this is my fa finance apps. That's it. Yeah. Uh, I use technology and tools to stay focused and take care of myself. Uh, but yeah, uh, I am, the startup journey is chaos 
and it is a shit show. And I try to uh, put as much uh, systems and balance and uh, frameworks I can to manage my life because it's, uh, it's, uh, uh, it's a, if it's a shit sandwich, I can, all I can do is make sure the morning and the nights are balanced and everything in between, you know, is ups and downs and, uh, and, and it's a little bit of uh, also dealing with uh, the daily ambiguities of the job, right? It's, a, you know, I hear it average one to three bad news a day, right? So it's just dealing with them, dealing with the regular, you know, program, scheduling program, yeah. Yeah, no, that that's good. I mean, it's real, especially because the shit shows like things are going to happen. It's just about how you can manage it. Just understand that some things like you, you just won't be able to control um, and I read about you um, mentioning that you are a left side of the brain type of person. And I thought you had a really cool concept about forgiveness and, and forgiving yourself. And I was just wondering if you could share that because that, that was really helpful to me when I read it. Um, I don't know what I said, but let me tell you what I, I'll say now and you can correct me if it's similar. Um, I don't know what I say half the time. It's just just word vomit. It's just I'm laying it out. I'm just just blah, 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 blah. Uh, I, you know, it's, it's about earlier, which is, you know, be true to yourself. And uh, when you do pick the profession that three of us have picked, we have picked a unforgiving life, a life of trial and error, a life of zigging and zagging, a life of do a hundred things. And if five works, you should be happy. And so what that means is we've picked a hard life. We've not picked a nine to five. We've not picked a, a job at a big company. We could have, we can have that tomorrow. We picked a tough life. We picked this journey, which means we're going to make mistakes. And if we're going to make a lot of mistakes, don't we have to be really good at forgiving ourselves? Right. If I was, you know, Dominique, you look like a tennis player, right? Uh, you look like a, a famous tennis player, you know, Serena Williams. If you're, if you're Serena Williams and you're playing tennis all day long, don't you have to be really good at recovery, physical recovery? Right? What are we doing? We're playing this mental game of you know, trial and error and rejection and ups and downs. So don't we have to be really, really good at forgiving ourselves? Sometimes I'm up at night, you know, uh, 12 at night in my bed, thinking about something I said or did that was dumb or a mistake I made that I shouldn't have. And you just gotta just, you, you gotta learn from it and be better, right? Is that 80-20 rule? Let you know, make 20% incremental improvements, but you have to forgive yourself because uh, we're all trying to build, you know, legacy businesses that will outlast our own names and lives. And uh, that means we're at the beginning of our journey and we're always at the beginning of a journey and just have to forgive yourself. So I forgive myself because uh, I make a lot of mistakes. Yeah. No, I, I think that's a huge lesson for early stage founders, founders who are more established and, and hell, just people in general, you know, and, and we even talk about getting when we have guests on the podcast, like how we just appreciate them being genuine and honest about their experience because we both call each other when we make mistakes so or we're talking about it and we can't sleep. You know, there's there's so many things like that. So I I uh, I was just curious about your purpose. You're really big on alignment, right? Providing voices for people who can be perceived as voiceless, which I think is part of how you grew up and, and how you understand it and, and being a kid from Queens and hustling and making it work over 10 years, right? To then becoming a C-suite level employee. Like what, what is purpose to do? Do you feel like you're walking in it? I have a couple of different purpose. Um, um, I admire the people who are good at so many different things. Like they don't do one thing they're good at. Uh, 
you know, I, my heroes are good at being great at home and being great at work and being great with their kids and being great at on the field and being great off the field, being great, great at investing. Like, I love those people. Uh, I think, uh, I think, the, you know, those are the people I am inspired by. Um, so, you know, I think my, so I have different purposes for different areas in life. My work purpose is helping restaurateurs everywhere. Uh, and so they can go ahead and, you know, uh, we build sustainable businesses on their own without big tech killing them. My purpose at work is making sure we all have a united mission and we all are also uh, fulfilling uh, our dreams. You know, I have a lot of employees with a lot of dreams. I want to make sure they are hitting those goals. They're buying that home. They are taking care of themselves. They have time for their kids. They can log off when they need to. They can log on on a Saturday because they had to log off on Wednesday because their mom was in town. You know, so that's my work purpose. My personal purpose is, uh, you know, to uh you know figure out uh, to invest enough in myself my mental health via therapy via you know uh, uh, relationship counsel to stop generational trauma of what you know i grew up so those are the three things i'm very focused on um and uh, one more personally is you know to also uh uh stop eating so much vegan food. Like that's a big purpose of mine. So uh, th those are a couple of things I think about as I navigate life. Um, and they, you know, and I, I love the context switching. Yeah, I, uh, absolutely. And um, I think another thing that I think you're really great at, just from what I'm seeing in this space is that you have an ability to make others comfortable and provide a space, whether that be, space and a platform in the business landscape, right? Of, hey, this is a marketplace for you to drive your brand and increase, increase um, awareness. But even just being on a call like this, right? Where in, in, in could be in different investor spaces, people could all be thinking what you're thinking, but you have an ability to be genuine and share exactly what you're thinking. I think that makes other people feel more comfortable, but most importantly, it makes it okay for them to be themselves as well in those spaces that have traditionally may not have been as welcoming or just comfortable for them to be themselves. So and I just wanted to, to say that. So no, I, I appreciate it because it, it's very easy to talk to you where sometimes we're a bit nervous when we have folks coming on, but it's it's just nice for us to be ourselves where we can just talk to you and kick it, right? And just see how you're feeling about some things. So, so yeah. Absolutely. Uh, I was where you guys are a week ago. So it's, uh, we are days apart in our journey. So it's, uh, it's easier when you see, you know, brown people, people that look like you uh, and people that maybe sound like you or people that, you know, understand that, happiness was never on the table. Like you mentioned earlier, it was like, what is that? Like, you know, what is yoga? What is wellness? What is, uh, you know, vitamins, right? Those are all like on the top of the pyramid, right? So when you meet those people who are like, we're in the same universe, uh, it's easy to connect because, uh, you know, we have more in common than not. Uh, it's crazy that you mentioned like you were in the same place as we're sort of talking about where we are right now because I was just talking to a friend about this the other day which is that like yeah like a week ago I was having this like whole problem where I was like I literally cannot fall asleep because I keep thinking about something I did a week ago 
or something I said to my team in a meeting that was like me trying to like you know push this like specific like private beta thing that we have going forward and I'm like oh like could I have said it a different way and I was like getting all up in my head and to the point where I just like couldn't sleep and it wasn't even that big a deal fast forward to this week I'm in a very different space where I'm like I think I can put that aside now where I just have to let go of it and I have to not think about you know the thing that I said a week ago that you know wasn't even yeah. me coming across with a bad intention or me sounding mean or anything like that um so it's really interesting how quickly growth happens on the founder journey and how literally you can feel like you're a completely different person just from what you were a week ago yeah all you have to realize is, is there's not a playbook to be a founder you know, no one wrote a you know, playbooks are and also maybe there is playbooks are written after something works so everyone who's writing their books they're writing it after and guess what they're la- they're telling a bit more beautiful story than the one that was in reality right you know it, it, it's just you know we wake up we look at the challenges ahead of us we look at the mountain and we climb it's easy to write that story after you climbed it but let's be honest uh, we look at the mountain and we're like what the fuck right how do we you know how do we deal deal with that there's no secret sauce you know you know like there's no difference between a good founder or a bad founder there's only winning and not winning and i think that is what uh, is the most important lesson here which is your job is to you know be a mission focused company that makes the mission successful and that is and in the process you will grow you'll be better you know, hopefully, uh, you know, and I think most founders work on themselves. I think most founders, you know, are very critical, self-critical. That's what you're describing, Isha. Uh, and I think, uh, I think, I think it's helpful. I think I, I don't think there's anything wrong with you uh, replaying that moment and being better. I think that is fine. I think then you have to move on very quickly because tomorrow is a new day. Um, and and I, I think so. I think you're going through a very normal experience. Um, and I think that's how you, that's why you are a founder because you are reevaluating something you said a week ago. I've reevaluated something I've said a year ago, right? And I still do it. I'm talking a big game here, but I'm still working on forgiving myself. You know, it's a full-time job I have to do. So, uh, so I, I, I think, uh, I think this is what makes us who we are. This is the DNA of a founder. Uh, so I think, uh, I think knowing that is enough and knowing that no one who made it had a better idea than we do is also enough. No one who made it, it knows anything more than we do. There's no secret sauce. You know, it's hard work. It's wake up every day and it's do that work. Uh, and so, so I, I think we're just going through the motion. I agree. And I think that actually is like a perfect transition into something else that I wanted to ask you. Um, you talked about regularly, you know, forgiving yourself. We talked just now about, you know, letting things go, moving on and just putting in the work. Um, I wanted to ask you if there are first, if there are any specific things, um, like examples that you can give us of things that you've let go in, like, for example, the past few months where you've looked up and been like, okay, this taught me a good lesson. I'm going to choose to forgive myself and let it go. Um, I do this thing on Sunday. I do this thing. Let me, let me pull up my calendar. Okay. Let me pull up my calendar. Don't judge me. Don't judge me. I'm going to pull up my calendar. Uh, this is what my calendar looks like. Right? Uh, so, so uh, uh, let me look at the. Let me show you the seven days. I do this thing on the weekend, on Sundays, called a weekly energy review. 
and I look at energy, what gave me energy, what drained my energy, what should I have said no to, what could have been delegated? And the third one is, uh, sorry, the first one is what gave me energy? Um, uh, this is basically my way of reflecting on the week. And, and this is my way of also looking what is draining my energy. And most of my energy is drained by me. I drain all my energy. I am the biggest critic of myself. Uh, it's not employee X or employee Y or uh, C-suite X or C-suite Y. So I, I do uh, energy draining activity to see uh, what is draining my energy. And then I ask myself two questions. Do I wanna be better at this, this activity, this, this object or this whatever is causing this or do I wanna delegate this? Uh, and I've noticed that I wanna start delegating a lot of things that drain my energy. And I want to keep like, again, 20% because I want to be good at it because I'm, you know, I'm competitive and I'm selfish and I want to fucking lean in and win. But 80% of it is just someone else's problem. And I'm, I'm going to give that to them because it's not my job to be great at everything. You know, it's my job to be me and be good at the things I'm really good at that no one can touch me on. But it's not my job to be good at everything. And it is so hard for us as founders to realize that it's not our job be good at everything. It's not our job to know better than X and Y and so many different categories. Our job is to push pace and make sure the vision comes true and the best people to do it. Uh, and so I use that weekly drain, uh, draining activity to check where am I being extra critical of myself because maybe it's time to hand that off or maybe it's time to you know get some coaching on it. Either way, uh, you know, uh, an action item is needed to be had there. I saved that little box. I need to like implement that into my weekly practice because that's really good. And again, I'm talking a big game here today, but I skipped that review many weeks, right? So again, I, I don't want to come off. I don't want to come off. I really, what I really don't want to do is come off impressive during this podcast and uh, have you guys leave the meeting, be like, wow, like that's the kind of people who make it. And I am being so bad at so many different things and I need to be better at all of those things. Do not do that. I promise you, you're doing that. Don't fucking do it. Because I know I do it. I do it all the time. Every time I see someone impressive on stage, I do it. I promise you, I'm talking a big game, but I do, the things I'm telling you, I do it half the time. And you know what? It's half as good as I want it to be. So I'm fine. So uh, just want to do a disclaimer. Disclaimer, everyone. Again, it's like the self-critical sides of us. I think we definitely end up doing that a lot especially when we talk to other people who are like ahead of us on their journeys like you know scaling yeah you, compare. you just compare you yeah, compare so crazy. much um yeah but yeah so you've taken a lot of time to develop your self-awareness practice you try your best to do it regularly um but you've been super real about you know it's it's okay like it's it's the best thing you can do is like try your best to get that in and really make sure that you reflect um, and speaking of reflection, I wanted to ask you if you had to look back and give younger Nabil advice just at points throughout your life, what are the top, you can pick like three things maybe, you would choose to tell him if you had that opportunity? Um, I will answer the question. I, I, I will not answer the question. I have no advice for younger self. He did the best he could. He did better than I I thought he would. Uh, he had a lot of help. And also he didn't have a lot of help. He had a lot of things not working for him. Uh, he had, you know, he grew up in an environment where you're not supposed to make it out. Right? So, yeah. I, I, I can't do that because uh, I got to love that version because that version brought me here. Yeah. 
I got <clears throat> choked up because I got I got choked up because it's good. This is good. This is good enough for now. Like if I retire today, this is more than I I dreamed of. But today I have much more dreams than before. So no advice for uh, younger Nabil. No, I thought I thought that was good. The first thought I got when you said that was that that you don't have advice for yourself now. It's kind of almost like sometimes it's almost like a betrayal on our younger self, right? They got us. We were here if we if we would have changed some things. So that was good. That was an enlightening moment for myself as far as reflecting back. Um, so as we think about moving forward and reflecting as to you know what's to come and in restaurant tech industry. I learned so much through studying you and, and, and preparing for this that I didn't know I was a part of these different waves of technology in the restaurant industry, right? So so what's next for you and Lunchbox, um, just future plans of moving forward? What does that look like for you? I think uh, we're going to move to becoming more like an incubator than just building everything ourselves. Uh, the last three months of the market, public market, going where it has headed, which is down, has been a wake-up call for the investment community that we are not going to throw dumb money at everything. And uh, the last couple of uh, months have been a wake-up call for some founders, which is some founders are we're still going to raise, and some founders like maybe we team up. And we want to team up with some food tech companies uh, that are in their journey who want out to say, come join us. We will help you. We'll teach you what we know. We will let you do what you do best. And we will continue to be the one-stop shop for restaurants everywhere. So that's become a, a, a strategy that is emerging in the last couple of weeks in my head. And that is becoming slowly more and more real. That's awesome. And And I think about you know, our audience is from different stages right here as we as we wrap up. Um, how can another kid from Queens, Detroit, wherever, create a network or community of folks to help him, he or she get to where um, maybe raising raising Series B? And I, I know it's a huge question. So I asked, let's think about just hiring their first employee. Are they looking on, would you recommend looking at a place like Fiverr where you can contract work out? Would you recommend them just cranking out the hard work, making, working on things? Like what, what would you suggest? First, we need to acknowledge that the folks from Detroit or Queens are not in the same playing field as other people, right? Like they're just at a disadvantage. That's just the reality of it. We are at a disadvantage. We are behind. If it was the same race, we're a little bit more behind. And uh, we, we have to be extra exceptional, right? Uh, Dominique, you have to be a better, uh, you have to be twice as good because you know, you're a black woman than you know, someone else. You know? uh, I have to be twice as good because I'm a, a brown man, right? Isha, as a female founder, you have to be twice as good. The reality is we just have to be twice as good as the same person next to us. We can be upset about it or accept it, which is the, it's, you know, the fact is that we just have to be twice as good. So uh, until the world is a better place and I'm not trying to fix it tomorrow, 
we just have to be twice as good. That sucks. Or we accept and we say we just have to go ahead and be twice as good. There's a NFL player that I, I was reading about a few years ago, and it's like his like motto is like, um, it's just about no one cares, you know, work harder. So, right, and it, it sounds insensitive, but I think to your point of like working twice as hard, it's like no, like the the progress is in the work. So putting the time in and just just doing the best that you can by working hard is I feel like that's the secret sauce. It's just, that's the hard work. It, it, it's not a secret to it, so. It's not a secret. And not only is it not a secret, after we learn that secret, we have to realize that we have to put in the same work, but twice as much. So it's worse than being a secret that we need to accept. It's after we found the secret, it's rigged against us. We have to do it twice as hard is what I, you know, and sometimes some people three times as hard. So I think, I think that's the first thing that needs to happen, which is the acceptance that this is going to be a tough journey. And the second one is, you know, have the mentality of improving the room you're in again and again and again and again and forever. Uh, I'm in different chat rooms now uh, or WhatsApp groups with founders um, that are much more uh, smarter than me that I'm nervous in, that I'm taking notes in like you are, Dominique, right? I'm in those rooms. I'm putting myself in those rooms again and again and again. And it's just like constantly scary because I have like people who are in public, you know, I have public CEOs that I, I get nervous around and I like, I don't, I don't know, you know, I forget about, you know, I lose my confidence around. So, it, but it's, it's being in those situations again and again, because that's where you're learning. It's hard. If it's hard, you're, you know, wearing and tearing, you're growing, right? And so I think, you know, doing that is something that is, is really, really helpful and just doing that forever. Uh, and, you know, it's, it's beautiful because people who are successful want to give back. They want to send the elevator back down. They want, they will take that call reluctantly and it's hard. It's not their job to take it. Like it's your job to reach out to hundred and for two to say yes, right? But, you know, I think that's uh, the, the, the kids from Queens and other places. Your job is to just, you know, be twice as good. Know that it's unfair, but move on from it. It's not gonna get fixed tomorrow, all right? Don't let, don't, don't, uh, don't, don't worry about it and reach out and, and, you know, put yourselves out there and be in scary rooms. And guess what? Uh, you will make it out of Queens. By the way, I still live in Queens. You'll make it out of Queens mentally. You'll make it out of those places and you will still have to do that forever. And that's growth mindset. And that's just something, you know, we as founders do, which is, you know, have a peer group we learn from, give back to uh, the people behind us and learn from the people ahead of us. And I think, uh, I think that's the first thing you can do is put yourself out there and ask and LinkedIn people and message people and ask them if uh, you can learn from them, shadow them, do free internship. Don't like, yeah, I, I see on LinkedIn posts like, do not work for free. I'm like, shut the fuck up. Stop it. I'm like, stop it. You, uh, you do not, you are privileged, uh, sir. You have no idea what it's like in real life. You know, I, you know, free internship and you get to learn from someone much smarter than you. You know, like, what are you, are you kidding me? You know, so, uh, so I think reality is, you know, you just have to work hard and throw everything out there and see what sticks and put yourself out there. And then that becomes a lifestyle. Uh, and then one day you become vegan. And, you know, that's, you know, and you've made it. Yeah.